0: Thank you for tuning in to Talking Bay 94, the Star Wars podcast devoted to interviews with the cast, crew, and creators of A Galaxy Far, Far Away. I'm your host, Brandon Winerdy and today I'm talking to Star Wars author William C. Deeds, best known to listeners as the writer of the Dark Forces Trilogy of Books. These books, featuring Kyle Katarn and the stealing of the Death Star plans, have truly stood the test of time, and it is a real honor getting to talk to him about his illustrious career. This is Talking Bay 94, episode 122, William C. Deeds. Bill, before we dive into your incredibly long and really wonderful career, what, what made you want to be a writer? What were those first books that you were reading that spoke to you and that stuck out to you?
1: Well, I don't know if I can nail it down to a single book, but I can certainly nail it down to um, a certain period of time and a certain type of book. This will astound you because of your age. But there was a time when most of us did not have TV. My family was one of those. I grew up in Seattle. Cable TV was just coming in. And we lived at the bottom of the hill where the signals from downtown, the big TV stations couldn't reach us. There was no cable TV, so no TV. And that was probably good. But I had a mother who was an avid reader. She took me to the library once a week without fail. And I was allowed to check out anything I wanted. I was immediately drawn to science fiction novels. Immediately started reading and just eating up everything that Heinlein wrote and Asimov and Dixon and all of the, the greats back then. There's been, of course, more greats created since then, but they were the ones that were available to me. I would read four or five books a week, probably. And the reason I could do that is because I wasn't doing any schoolwork.
0: <laughs> uh-huh.
1: Which did not work out well. (laughs) Uh This was not a good plan. So I was not a great student, but I certainly knew how to read and fell in love with fiction. And I think that that, plus the fact that my mother was attempting to write stories, attempting to write short stories for magazines like the Saturday Evening Post, which you've maybe heard of, but certainly never read. At that time, it was common for these general purpose, I'm going to say, general audience would be a better way to say it. Magazines would have fiction and it was a pretty good market back in those days. And she tried to break in. She'd come home from work every day and bang away on her typewriter and she never made it. But what it did for me, Brandon, was it showed me how writing gets done. It showed me that you sit down and it's chair time and it's bang away and bang away and bang away and probably will fail. Those things made a huge impression on me.
0: You've done so much, not just being a full-time writer in your career, right? We were talking before being a television producer, but also like, in my research, like surgical technician, college instructor, PR and marketing, which is what I do as my day job, like all these different aspects. You're the man. You're the man. Were you always still writing like as a hobby? Or were you kind of really focused in on those careers as you were experiencing them?
1: Well, let's take the story forward. So we established that I was a really bad student. Uh, That extended into high school. And long story short, I barely graduated had about a D average. It was a time... We're talking about 1964 here when jobs were in short supply, especially for high school graduates who were, you know, did not have the sterling record. I didn't have any money. My mother didn't have any money. I didn't even know how to get into college. You know, so even if I'd had the money, I wouldn't have been able to get into college. So I joined the military, joined the Navy. The next few years of my time in the military were just exactly what I needed. I learned a lot about just being a person and about being alive and all of that continued to read a lot to the extent that my work would allow me to do so. One day I was sitting in the chow hall at the hospital I was assigned to I was a medic in Buford, South Carolina, and I was looking around at me with this profound and really inexplicable snottiness at the people around me saying, God, I was just thinking, what a bunch of losers. And it was like a shaft of sunlight came down through the ceiling and struck me. And I suddenly realized, and you're the biggest loser of all, <laughs> you know, you, you're here for a reason. It's because you haven't done anything. Your only accomplishment is you did get through the school to become a medic, which was psychologically important. It was a success. That was the moment when I decided I needed to go to college and that I needed to get straight, not straight in a drug sense. I wasn't taking drugs, but just straight in my life. Where I got out of the Navy, I, I went to college. Now, your question said, had I been writing during that time? And the answer is absolutely not, not at all. But I had this Conceited, crazy notion that I could and that I should and that I would. I majored in communications, radio and TV, based on a conversation with a guy at a bar. Actually, I was just about to get out of the Navy. I was in downtown San Francisco with a buddy who'd been in the Navy and gotten out. We were talking about my plans. And I said, I'm going to the University of Washington. That's my intent. Somehow I'm going to get in there, even though I don't deserve to. And then I'm going to major in journalism. And this businessman sitting next to me said, can I say something? And I said, sure, go ahead. And he said, don't major in journalism, major in communications, because journalism is really dying. This guy was saying this in 1967. He was a very, very bright, perceptive individual. And he said that he was an editor for a Bay Area publication. And that was his perspective. I did that. I got, I minored in English and I still didn't do any writing. You're waiting for the writing part. I managed to get myself a job at a television station and was eventually promoted to director producer and then I started to mess around a little bit. I started to attempt to write short stories. And I wrote poetry on my way to work. And I was banging away at the typewriter every day at work because I was a news writer. That was my first job there. And then I began to think about it as something that I might do. But I still didn't really make a serious attempt at writing a novel until about 1979. And by then, Star Wars had come out. Notice the clever way I'm bringing
0: this back. in. was good. It was very good. Yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> (laughs)
1: And I went to the first movie, which I'd been looking forward to. It had been on my radar. And I mean, it just totally blew me away. It just like, oh my God, what an amazing step forward. And I think that inspired me to take my writing or my desire to write a little bit more seriously and start cranking away. So I I made a decision then in my early 30s that I would write a book by the time I was 40. And even if it didn't sell, I would write it and I would complete it and I would put it in a drawer somewhere. Whatever. So flash forward now, like in a movie, and suddenly I'm 39 and I haven't started the book. (laughs) Not a word. (laughs) On my 39th birthday, I thought, I need to write that book because I said I would, you know, so I need to do that. So I sat down and I wrote a book about an intergalactic bounty hunter named Sam McCade. I finished it and I did the research. How do you submit a book? And I sent it off to New York and I waited to get the rejection slip, which everything I had been told is what you could expect to get. Three months after sending it in, I got a phone call from Berkeley Publishing saying, you know... We've uh, looked at your book and, you know, it's, it's not great, but it's not horrible. <laughs> Lord of God, this is true, Brandon, this, this assistant editor was talking to me on the phone and I was in the studio at the company I worked at, the TV studio. And, and she said to me, you know, I mean, it isn't great, but right now we're kind of short on science fiction and we could use some of this shit, quote unquote. <laughs> Much to my amazement, you know, I sold my first book the first time I sent it in. It was published, and once you publish a book, you can publish more. Now, fast forward a few years, and I'm going to bring Star Wars back in. That editor left, and another editor took her place, and one and became my editor. And by that time, I'd written a number of books, and they'd been, all been published by Berkeley. And the new editor called me one day and said, "You know, we'd, you know we've got a thing going here—an agreement with Lucas." films and a comic book outfit called Dark Horse Comics. Would you be at all maybe interested in working something and doing something, writing something inside the Star Wars universe? And of course, you can imagine. I mean, I went, oh, my God, you must be kidding would I? How much do I have to pay him? And she said, no, no, they'll pay you. You know, the deal was done. It was an interesting partnership uh, between these three organizations. But I think I've sort of answered your initial question up to this
0: point. Now we're into the Star Wars part of it all, which is the three books that you were then, they called it novellas, but... They really are unique if you look at just the entire line of Star Wars publishing from the very beginning, where it was this kind of combination of your wonderful words with beautiful art, but also tied into a video game and really ends up being a very incredible unique project that still, obviously, we're talking today because it has resonated with me even still. After you get that call to then the completion of even the first book, what was your process of, did you become acclimated with the game before you wrote? Did you partner with the artists as you were writing? Or how did that kind of evolve over time? And as you put these stories together?
1: Well, Brandon, you're asking all the right questions.
0: That's what I like to hear.
1: (laughs) (laughs) First of all, I, of course, was a Star Wars geek, so to speak. But I really, I was not familiar with the Dark Forces games. And in fact, I did not own a computer of my own. I had one at work. But I did not have one at home. So, I mean, I knew, you know, how to operate one to the extent that, you know, I mean, those were back, the, back then, we're talking about loading the program and on one drive and loading the software in a second drive. And, you know, I mean, this was very primitive stuff, you know, compared to now. So it started when they sent me copies, discs, uh, actually floppies of the uh, first game, the Dark Forces game. And said, well, you need to bone up on this to find out, you know, what it's it's all about. And then they started sending me, and there's no exaggeration, cardboard boxes filled with, you know, all kinds of Star Wars books, Star Wars comics, the Bible, which you know laid out for writers everything you could and could not do, and all the intricate details of how all these books were linked together, which I was supposed to study up with prototype art that I could put up on the wall to look at for inspiration. I Still have a lot of that, some of it's framed. I had to go rent a computer to play the game. And I'd come home after eight hours in a corporation and I would, you know, play this game. And I thought it was great. It was totally new to me and I enjoyed it a great deal. So that way I, you know, I learned the basics of the game. But as I was playing it, I was also thinking like a writer, which is okay, so what is the backstory? What is the side story? What is the stuff that isn't in the game? They're not hiring me to write the game. The game is already there. What they want is for me to take this character and to, you know, write something about the character, something completely different. Now, at this point, I need to <clears throat> signal that I was not alone in this enterprise. There was a the person who coordinated a lot of the books, the Star Wars tie in novels, was a woman named Lucy Autry Wilson. And she was basically my boss, for lack of a better word, at at Lucasfilms. And she was the one that was directing and reviewing, you know, looking at everything I did. And she was a really wonderful combination of things. For one thing, she was, you know, really pleasant to work with, smart as a tack, very demanding, did not suffer fools gladly. <laughs> <laughs> Really, you know, when you think about all those things all wrapped up in one person and she knew everything there was to know about Star Wars and she had a relationship with Lucas himself and had, you know, I believe, I don't know the exact nature of it, but I believe that in the early, early days, back when the movie was getting rolling and it was all getting started, she was, you know, working for him in some capacity. So she really knew his mind and knew where he was coming from and and could speak with authority about what was and wasn't okay. And And so it wouldn't be fair to leave her out because certainly her nudges, her direction, her reinforcement, you know, this is great, Bill, you know, go down that road. Oh, Bill. No, I don't think so. This is not working. (laughs) Those things were extremely helpful. So we're talking about a process in which I would write a draft and I would send it to her and then, you know, she would give me feedback and I would make changes. Behind all of this is this thing that a writer has to do. If you're going to write tie-ins, you have to come at it in a very humble way. You have to say, I understand this is not my property. It's not my idea. It belongs to them. They own it. I'm a hired gun. Ultimately, need to develop And deliver something the client wants. And that really has to supersede what I want. But in this case, uh, I was very happy with what I was able to write for them. And they, as far as I know, were happy with it as well. But sideways from all that was, um, was the art. And would you like me to go off on that for a minute?
0: I would love for you to, because it is it is so it is so beautiful. I was able to interview Dave Dorman maybe a year ago, and it just was so complimentary to your words, and I would love to kind of hear how you getting an illustrated book... <laughs> is not often the case for for an author that's where
1: that's that's where a whole bunch of people come into play certainly lucy was part of that but actually another unsung hero here was dark force comics out of portland at that time and i don't know if they're still there or what they're doing because i've not kept track of them but they had a player in this and a representative they were determined to put out an absolutely first class art quality publication or three publications and part of that was a Commitment to hiring really, really good art. A commitment to the paper, meaning the quality of the paper, which has lasted incredibly well. It hasn't yellowed and so on. Like you know, like my paperbacks have the cover, the you know, just everything about it was first class. I'm you know holding one here in my hand right now, and I mean uh, this is you know one of the first copies to come out. And then everybody was committed to the idea of let's bring everybody together and let's bring everybody together. Together at Skywalker Ranch down north of San Francisco. And that was like unheard of. And of course, that was a legendary place. I mean, if you were into Star Wars, Particularly the creative end. Only the cool kids got to go there. And if you got to go there, you knew that, you know, you're at least friends with cool kids, <laughs> uh-huh. even if you, was, if you weren't one yourself. And so a meeting was scheduled and my editor flew in from New York. I mean, that's how big a deal it was. And we met, had dinner in San Francisco, and then we drove up the next day. And one of the things about the uh, ranch was that it was famously very secretive. The only thing that i identified It was a mailbox on this highway. And maybe you've heard about this. And if you didn't know the, the number, you know, that you're looking for, and the little driveway to turn off on, uh, you would just never find it. But we, we, of course, had that information, we turned off, went up the driveway, and then boom. Here is this whole community of buildings that, you know, that that Lucas had built, including this central kind of library, combination museum, combination dining room building that we were taken to. And inside that, there was, you know, stuff on the wall. There was Luke's hand, Indiana Jones's whip, all kinds of stuff, you know, framed and hanging around. And then in come the three artists, and they're very different guys, you know, great guys and each one with his own aesthetic and personality and so on. The meeting wasn't just a meet and greet, like let's all get acquainted. The meeting was for the precise thing of sitting down and really getting into the nitty gritty of book one, book two, book three. And each artist, of course, had a book. And each artist wanted to, you know, to grill me on what I wanted to put in those books so that they could ideate from that. Probably the coolest creative session I've ever been in followed, where we just, you know, talked it out. And I mean, I would say, well, I see, you know, Kyle doing this, and so on. And then, you know, the artist for that book would go, Oh, great. Well, what about if I had a, you know, picture of this, and it's a huge tree, and it's soaring up almost into the sky. And Stuff And I'm going, oh, God, that would be tremendous. I could I could definitely write that. And so it was like that. And it was, um, it was just a, it was just a fabulous, you know, kind of meeting. And they were, they were wonderful. And as you've already commented on, all three of them delivered just first class art. I mean, what, what amazing people they are. That was just pure joy and a lot of fun. And I went home with lots of notes, commitments, really, because these guys were starting to paint, and draw and do all that. I was in contact with them and they would say, okay, it was, we're still good with the XYZ. And I'd go, yes, yes, I'm going to keep my word. And he'd say, that's good because I'm working on it. And, you know, it was, uh, it was that kind of a deal.
0: I'm glad you talked about this collaboration, not only between artist and writer but then with all these different companies kind of coming together and realizing this is a very cool story this is a very cool thing for us all to work together on i think it really goes to show you just showed me how it's just a nice Book. Like it is a beautiful, yeah. the pages are beautiful. Like it all kind of came together to be this celebration of video games and writing and Star Wars and a story we'd never heard of but wanted to know all about, you know. So I really do think that the legacy of the trilogy is, it goes far beyond the game and far beyond anything. And I think it's a lot to do with this collaboration. And so glad that it exists.
1: It's too bad that it's not canon, you know, it was yeah. decanonized, if that's a word. But still, it's cool that there's a significant number number of folks like yourself who are still interested. Shortly after I I received the invitation from you, I received another one from somebody else who does a blog and stuff, and people still read them. And boy, that pleases me, of course, a great deal. So appreciate that.
0: Yeah, of course. And uh, you touched on it, and I'd like to move away from Star Wars a little bit, but I'd love to delve in just because of my own curiosity, uh, the balance that you have to kind of strike when you write IP-based work and then your own work? Because I'm sure they're both rewarding in different ways, but the limitations that might be surrounding IP-based work, how do you work within that? And how do you kind of let your creativity shine within a book for Halo or something similar? I wrote a
1: book for the Halo folks for Bungie, and I wrote a couple of books in the Resistance series. Come back to that in a second. I wrote a book for Hitman. I wrote a Mass Effect book, which was rejected by everybody on the planet. And I think everybody in the galaxy being, you know, just the most horrible thing that ever happened. Oh, no. (laughs) You know, and I have an excuse. I have an excuse for that, which was, as I said, you know, what, of course, a lot of my detractors in that case weren't aware of, was, as I said, I had orders from the company that owned the franchise to kill off one of their favorite characters. Ooh, that did not go down well. (laughs) Oh, man. But anyway, going back to the more pleasant, more enjoyable uh, Books that I wrote, you have to surrender to the notion, as I mentioned earlier, that this is not yours, that you need to learn it, you need to own it, you need to come in. And I'll use the resistance books as an example because that was a case where I was hired to write a certain resistance book. I got into it. I would make suggestions along the way about things that we could do. And the team that worked on that, and, and by the way, I was flown down to California a couple of times uh, you know, to meet with Sony and me with those people. And I would show up at these meetings. And of course, at that point, I'd walk into the meeting and everybody in there would be your age or younger. And they would all go, you could just read their faces. They're going, whose grandfather is he? And why is he here? You know, and because it was like, you know, this this is as if an alien had dropped in out of from outer space. And then the Sony guy would introduce me and you could see all their expressions of, oh, my God, we are in such deep trouble now. (laughs) Half of them, of course, had never heard of me. um, you know, and that sort of thing. So when it gets down to the time when you start making offering up your opinions and things that could be done and stuff and they're doing they're working on the next game but you have to get their approval on the last game the book you're you know you're writing in connection with the interpersonal part of it really becomes important and whether or not you can operate in a as a group as a team and fortunately my corporate experience helped me there because you know teams are teams and personalities are personalities and I tried to use whatever skills I had to manage that flash forward. A little bit to the second book, and by that time I had become such an owner of the universe, and and the Sony rep knew that and everything. Long story short, they hired me to write a, a Resistance game, which I co-wrote with a guy named uh, Michael Bates, and it's done pretty well. And you know that's how it can go from tie-in novel business into actually writing a game. So that was fun. Uh, Halo: uh, The Flood was a different situation in a lot of ways. One, I had when the offer came. Along, I, they they said, okay, well, we need this book in six weeks. <laughs> in six weeks, my <laughs> friend. <laughs> yeah, they offered me, you know, what was then a decent amount of money, and uh, and by the way, they offered me a choice between, you know, like X amount of money and like three percent of the back end, and I couldn't. I really wasn't sure which way to go, and I really wasn't familiar with Halo. I'd never played it at that point. And so I went to the local GameStop shore and I went in, walked up to the guy with the ponytail and the weird t shirt and I said, Tell me about Halo. Is, does anybody buy that game? Is it any good? Because oh dude, that is that is such an awesome game. They just fly out of here, you know, like we're out right now. I mean, that's just that's you know, it's so, so good. And and I said, so they've offered me, you know, a chance to write a book about it, should I? And he said, Oh yeah. Totally get into it. You know, so I came back and I said, yes. And I took the back end, which, by the way, turned out to be a brilliant decision. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> But that was a deal where again you have a team that, you know, really owns it. They eat it, they sleep it, they drink it. You get feedback from teams like that where they go, Bill, seriously, I know you're trying here, dude, but you know, uh, 47 would never do anything like that. I mean, the chief, no. He just, you know. And I go, Well, why not? I mean, how do you know that? Well, we just know, we just know. And you go how do I deal with that? You well, anyway, you have to basically accept it. And I did. But I also was able to negotiate a deal with them. And I said, well, you know, in order to write the book, I want the freedom to inject new material into the cutscenes." So I'm sure your audience knows what a cutscene is the moment when the whole screen feeds the black and they reboot the whole thing and the next level starts or whatever. They said, yeah, as long as we approve it, and it falls within certain guidelines and so on. So, so I wrote new material to go in the cutscenes, and you know, I'm pleased to say that I think that went pretty well, and there are some pretty positive comments out in the in the universe uh, about those cutscenes and and so on. And I think they influence the things to come. And, and I'm a big Halo fan, just like I'm a big Star Star Wars fan, and I'm looking forward to the next one. There's one on the way. I still play games. I was just playing. I just finished Far Cry Two, which I think I've played three times or something over the years.
0: I think that's one interesting element of your career and then of course you're self-publishing and you're telling the stories that you want to tell now especially and i'd love to dive into that to maybe round out our conversation of the enjoyment that you've gotten out of this career that you started when you were, you know, 39 and, and really kind of have come into full fruition with. And now you're able to really hold on to the stories that you really want to tell. And I'd love to dive in on why tell those stories and, and why self-publishing especially has been so important for you uh, in order to tell those.
1: Publishing has changed a lot, as you know, I mean, and that not just because of COVID, it was changing before that. There's been a process of consolidation and reconsolidation in the publishing business. I guess different people have different opinions, but as my last editor at Berkeley said to me once you know um, uh, right after they were acquired by a German company you know there was a time when we it was kind of like baseball when we made good money as a publishing company hitting singles and doubles and um, all these people want is home runs no one can guarantee you know a home run a bestseller and meanwhile the publishing business like so many things has been fractured you know it's it's a niche business now so you've got you know novels for I mean you novels are broken down by genre, like romance, Western, science fiction, so on. But then it's broken down within those genres so that there's like, you know, gay mysteries, there's political material, you know, where where people have some political viewpoint they're doing, you know, like kind of right wing prepper novels, and that's a whole genre. and, And there's just all of these different little niches. Anyway, What happened was, is that I pitched, you know, I'd been with Berkeley for like 30 years plus, you know, I pitched them a couple of books, they weren't interested in them, they guess they didn't think that they would be instant bestsellers or whatever. So I, but I believed in the stories. And so I decided to, you know, publish them myself. I felt some trepidation about that, because being an older guy, I'd never tried it. You know, I had to learn, you know, all the the ropes and everything. Long story short, I have a, a series going called the Winds of War which is a World War III military you know, series with very limited science fiction elements, but a few. And um, I fell in love with the whole thing. And, and I, I not only, you know, has the series done well, like if you go to alternative history, top 100 books on Amazon, the, you know, the, in the top 100 right now, there's five of these Winds of War books and four of them are in the top 100 right now. You know, so to, you know, I'm saying the books have done well. But it isn't just that. I have learned about sort of the joy of doing what you want when you want the way you want it. No one tells me what I can write anymore or approves it. No one decides when I actually release the book. Nobody prices the book. I mean, Berkeley has overpriced my books on the internet, in, on Amazon, the books they still control. They sell Kindle books, William Dietz Kindle books for $14. That's ridiculous. I mean, they should be $6 at most. You know, I mean, that's just crazy. I mean, competition means something. What in the heck are you doing? Who can afford $14 Kindle book? Three people. I mean, you know, that's just ridiculous. So you you can also design your own covers, which I like to do. Now, you know, a lot of people who self-publish don't do that, but I like to design them. You get paid 70% instead of 12%. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm really, I'm really enjoying that a lot.
0: I love it. No, and I think the most recent in that series is Red Tide, which came out early in the summer. Yeah. And I'll put links in the show notes to both your website and also to Amazon, if that's the best place for people to pick it up. That's the only place, yeah. Is there anything else uh, that people should know or how people can find you even easier?
1: Well, I think, you know, those are those are the most recent books. But, you know, I've got a backlist, as you pointed out, of, you know, more than 50 books out there. And uh, the backlist is really generally available on Amazon. But it's also, uh, there's a literary agency called Jabberwocky that prints books that are, you know, out of print generally, and in ebook form. And a lot of my really, really older stuff is available there, you know, the paperbacks from back in, you know, the 80s and 90s, and so on are available there in case anybody wants to dive into that. And they are
0: priced correctly
1: and very available so that's an option
0: bill uh, mr Teets, thank you so much for taking this time and telling these stories I, i've really in case you cannot tell really enjoyed it
1: well you're very welcome brandon thank you for the invitation and thank you for just uh, being the guy that you are i think it's just super that there are people like yourself that are you know that involved and really students of this particular form of of entertainment you know it i think it's a service really, really to a lot of people so
0: so much again to mr Deets for his incredibly generous time and advice it really was just such a joy to get to talk to him and for more information about these upcoming novels that we've talked about head to his official website williamcdeeds.com the link is in the show notes but that's all for this week we have so much more planned for 2022 and 2021 has been such a joy to be a part of just because of all you listeners by my side so thank you if right now you can leave a five-star rating and review for the show on whatever app you're listening to it means a lot and really helps me out so until next week stay tuned leave that five-star review and may the force be with you